0: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Should Utah accept refugees from Syria? That's the question we're addressing on the program today. According to the Salt Lake Tribune, Utah's members of Congress want to stop Syrian refugees from entering the country until new security checks are implemented, a process that could take years. Senator Orrin Hatch says, for example, it's irresponsible, particularly after the Paris attacks, to reduce the issue to one of mere compassion. In contrast to 27 fellow governors, Governor Gary Herbert says Utah will continue to accept Syrian refugees at this time. Uh, He, at the same time, has asked the Utah Department of uh, Public Safety to review security checks used by Federal Refugee Resettlement uh, Program. We're going to be talking later in the program with Governor Herbert's Communications Director, John Cox. Later in the program, we'll have with us University of Utah Associate Professor of Political Science, Claudia Holtzner. We'll be speaking with Gerald Brown. Director of Refugee Services Office in the Utah Department of Workforce Services. And uh, first, though, we bring on Adam Paul Steed. He's a Utah County resident advocate for refugee aid. He's been assisting Syrian refugees uh, in Greece and joins us on the telephone line. Uh, Mr. Steed, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you. I understand uh, that I'm pulling up your Facebook uh, page here, that uh, you are over Search and Rescue, or the sea portion for Mercy Worldwide. Is that correct?
1: Yes, yes. That's where I've been working.
0: And uh, we, we want to bring on as well um, Catherine, um, who is a, a refugee from uh, Syria. Uh, Catherine, do we have you?
2: Yes.
0: Uh, hello. Thank, Thanks for joining us. We hello. really, really appreciate it.
1: Thank you.
0: Uh, so Thank first, uh, uh, first of all, Adam, uh, uh, tell us uh, tell us a little <laughs> bit about your work. What have you been doing?
1: All right. Um, I originally uh, was just a regular Utah person, mm-hmm. like everybody else, and my little sister uh, asked me to go help with the refugees, uh, the conflict over there. And uh, after a, she had already been over there for about a month, um, I learned up close and personally for our connection how desperate the situation really was. And my father and I uh, quit what we were doing here and went over to, to help on the island of Lesbos. Uh, we started at the Camp Moria, which is a registration camp where uh, I worked mostly uh, helping with medical issues. And then after I saw how how many people we were losing in the sea. Um, I, I developed a program uh, to help coordinate the sea rescue and further develop the sea rescue.
0: Oh, that's, and, and you're the people, as we know, are dying at sea. I want to learn more about your experiences. I want to turn back to Catherine. Uh, Catherine, we really appreciate you being on with us. I know it's, it's got to be a, a very traumatic time in, in your life. Uh, t- tell us just a little bit about your, your life in, in Syria before you decided to, to leave.
2: Oh, well, what what can I, can I t- tell you about uh, living in Syria? Oh my God! Hmm. W- what uh,
0: sorry? W- what did you do there? What uh, what was your profession?
2: Uh, I am a pharmacist. I just uh, graduated. Yeah. Um, it- uh, in Syria, you have to live like a bit You know.
1: Mm. Um, yes. Catherine, go ahead, Adam. Oh, it might help Catherine just a little bit because I've experienced this just since I've been back. Some of the things that I saw over there. Yes. Um, have have leave us with a little bit of a almost post-traumatic sorry, stress sorry. just when people ask uh, the, I, the, the I didn't see question. questions.
0: Yeah, a, a lot of yeah, post-traumatic uh, stress uh, yeah, uh, symptoms, pretty, yes, pretty, yes. All uh,
1: right, so maybe, he, uh, Catherine, he, he just wants to know, uh, you know, a little bit about your pharmacy. Uh, you're a pharmacist. You just graduated. Do so you want to talk a little bit about that? I'm um, could...
2: um, sorry. I, I can't hear you. Oh, sorry.
0: Can, can, you, uh, can you hear me, Catherine? Can you hear me?
2: Yes, yes.
0: Uh, yeah, we just wanted yeah. to know a, a yeah. little bit about your your what you did as a pharmacist and uh, and your training. Uh, in Syria, uh,
2: about the
0: pharmacy. Okay. Yeah. Hello. What uh, what 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 made you decide I, I've got to get out? I guess you you want to stay as long as you can, and then at some point you just have to leave i guess
2: uh i stayed in syria in the uh, for 5 years because i had a dream to graduate
0: yeah
2: uh, after graduation i i traveled from syria after 1 month after graduation um Must be balanced,
0: yeah. Live, but uh, it must I be. I can't d- describe. Yeah, it must be difficult. Yeah, just, just horrible.
2: Yes.
0: Uh, so you, I, I guess you. So, yeah, go ahead.
2: You left because <laughs> you just have to live.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I guess yeah, I guess you have to. What and
2: and and if, if if the people there have have a way to travel, they will travel. Mm-hmm. But it's so
0: difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam, what, what uh, you know, I guess people like Catherine. You you reach a point, you want to stay as long as you can, but you have to leave the violence. And uh, s- some of the plans are quite desperate. You get in a. Getting a boat, knowing that it may not, might not make it?
1: Yeah. Um, so Catherine and I met on the beach, uh, north beach of the island of Lesbos, Greece. And um, we, we first got her and her, her friends and, and family to a little camp where uh, we helped people get uh, dry shoes and warm clothes and uh, a warm drinks. We had tea and a kettle. And and that's where we met. And with Catherine, there were lots of other friends that were engineers. And uh, and and Catherine was really cool. She stood out to me because we have a lot of medical need. And she offered to uh, help with anything she could as a pharmacist, uh, even to stop her plans uh, to to try to help because she wanted to help uh, help the people that were in great need over there. Mm, yeah, and, wonderful. Um, when, uh, when I, uh, posted on Facebook, uh, uh, you know, with her, uh, she mentioned that, uh, we were her first friends that she had ever met after she escaped the, the, the war and, and the violence. Hmm. And, and she's so thankful for that. And, um, I've talked with Catherine and, um. You know, what we hear a lot is that um, people are scared that they will have a bomb dropped on their house, that they they hear it in the streets, they hear it um, where they go, and uh, it, it's a, it's something really sad when you uh, watch people that are uh, swimming for their lives and with babies without life jackets in the, in the ocean, people who uh, often don't know uh how to swim. Uh and and you learn uh from people firsthand, they tell you that this is better than where they came from.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's that's it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Uh Catherine, that that's wonderful that you that you look to help people in in the camps. Uh, I wonder what what what's your hope? Where where do you hope to go? Where do you hope to end up? Hello. Uh, yes. Can you hear me, Catherine? Please,
2: can, can you reply the question?
0: Uh, yes. I I wonder what what your what your hope is next. Where do you hope to go to? Could,
2: could we redirect I that question? I
1: hope
0: to yeah. less peacefully. Uh, a, a less stressful place. Yes. Adam, what oh. were you what were you saying?
1: Oh, I told Catherine we would just go ahead and and uh, maybe not mention exactly where she's at right now. Right, but, uh, right. So, just to redirect the question, but maybe you could ask her about about her life, what her goals are with her
0: life now. Yeah, that's a good question, a, uh, Catherine. Question, what? Yeah. What, what, are, what are your goals? What What do you want to do?
2: I want to continue my study and help people. Cause. Many people in the world need help, really,
0: like Syrian people. <sighs> yeah, yeah. So you you want to help? Yeah, that's that's great. Uh, Adam, I, I wonder, uh, I wonder how typical Catherine is. She's you know sounds like middle class pharmacist. Uh, we we have this view of refugees as, uh, as something different than that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, if you—it's uh, too bad we couldn't all be standing in the same room talking together, because uh, we might not be cool enough to hang out with Catherine. Uh huh. She's she, she's got more Facebook friends than I do, and they seem <laughs> really? a lot.
3: Okay.
0: I
1: hope none of my Facebook friends hear this, but she seems like she she has quite an amazing group of friends. Mm
3: hmm.
1: And um, uh, she's she's super uh, super helpful. Um, I. I'm just amazed at the level of education, and I understand that this is—it's just so hard to go through an ordeal like this and and be asked um, nothing against the way we're doing this, but it's it's just so hard to explain what what these people have actually been through. I, I in my little time, uh, spending time with these people, I have hard problems explaining what it was—the level of things that we actually went through. It's it's, it's almost I. Uh, it, it's so difficult uh, to go through some of the experiences are, are so so uh, surreal and and difficult and and challenging and on a daily basis for an extended period of time and so um, it, it gets it gets really difficult to uh, I often have to go back to my own Facebook post to read what actually happened while I was there because because it, it's hard to hard to talk about it's really difficult to talk about. Um, What I'm amazed at is, you know, there's been times where I've been doing a medical procedure because uh, we were so short-staffed and um, uh, like the time that a guy in the mud sitting next to me turned out to be a surgeon from Syria and offered some great help. Um, I have been amazed at uh, how educated and and how many people speak very good English. And... um, like Catherine, I'm. I was very impressed with her English. When we when we speaking in person, it's a little harder over the telephone. Mm-hmm. And and I'm also uh, super amazed at the dedication that the uh, the people have had to be selfless and to help others. I the entire time I was there, I was always asking desperate people for help. Actually, to help me do you know to help me. Hand things out, or help me to triage and find the, the sickest people, or the babies with pneumonia and things like that. And um, and I would have medical students, uh, young young men. Like one, one really good guy helped me for two days. And we had a shortage of food in the line at that time. And he refused, even though he hadn't uh, eaten or drinking for a couple of days. He refused any water or food because there were so many uh, children and babies that we were trying to help and so many of them we had to turn back at that moment because we were only able to help the people with the greatest need and he wouldn't, you know, he absolutely wouldn't eat or drink anything for the two days that I worked with him. Uh, he wouldn't take anything. He, he felt ashamed if he had ate, ate anything or drank anything. and. He, and you know, this is a guy that just got accepted into medical school and had to leave his country because of what was going on. Mm. Uh,
0: what What are the people you talk to there? Of course, they come out, and it's post traumatic stress, and it's uh, it's a very traumatic situation. Uh, what are the hopes? Where where do, you, where do you find they want to go? Do They want to go to America. They want to go to Europe. What?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, well, I think. Uh, Just to humanize this conversation a little bit, um, when I first got there, I, I, of course, had been an American citizen and had watched the news for years, and I didn't realize that um, I had kind of become pre-programmed with the the, uh, prejudice against um, Muslim people because of an emotional prejudice against Muslim people because of all the news and all of the criteria surrounding the situation, and when I arrived in uh, Lesbos, the first time I saw a father um, holding his baby, and, and, you know, I got down on his knees and started crying and begging for milk for a bottle, and and saw that his family was all wet, I, it started to humanize the situation and break down those prejudices that I had been carrying with me. I, I didn't realize how many, and, and I consider myself a humanitarian and a good person, and uh, I it, it didn't you know, it just started coming off this prejudice and within a few days I began to see glimpses of what what's really going on. And and it didn't you know, of just seeing these it's just inoculated by all these women with babies and fathers and selfless acts and people that were desperately fleeing a war. And and suddenly I you know, once this prejudice leaves you 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 realize there's an entire you know group of people that, that need somewhere to go they need it they need homes they need food they need shelter they need a uh, something that they can do with their lives that they, they they have a tremendous amount to offer because of the high education levels and 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 the good spirit that these people bring with them and and while a lot of people it's always fun to say hey what country are you going to and, and you hear a lot of happy people yell out the country that they've Heard, but then there the, are a lot of insecurity, and they ask, do they like refugees there? Will they help us? And, um, and so I think that uh, most people that I saw uh, just wanted anywhere that was safe, anywhere there was a home, a place they could belong, they could have a family. You know, we have so many pregnant women uh, lose their babies in the second and third trimester while I was at Moria. It was at times a daily occurrence. Of uh, shivering and walking and, and without food and stress, mm. uh, it was super sad to see. Well, uh, I, uh, if you could put yourself in their shoes, you, heart, heart you would understand what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, we uh, we need to go to break soon. We'll uh, uh, move on, bring in some other guests. Uh, Adam, you can stay with us, I believe. Okay. Um, so, uh, Catherine, uh, Catherine, are you there? Yes. Uh, just a uh, just a final question uh, for you. Do you you. Uh, you you keep in touch, do you, with your friends through Facebook? Yes. Uh, and how how is everyone doing? I guess you you want to make sure everyone is safe. Uh,
2: you, uh, in Syria, in this moment you are safe. The next moment you you don't know.
0: Yeah. That's a problem. That is a problem.
2: So. Yeah.
0: Yes. Well, uh, Kath, yeah, go ahead.
2: They, uh, they will stay. There.
0: Yeah, I certainly hope so too. And Catherine, I'm 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 glad you're well. I'm glad you're safe. Thank you. And uh, good good luck. Good luck with 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 your future and uh, and hope you can hope oh, you can uh, you know Thanks. make make your dreams.
2: Thank you so much. Thanks, Thank Catherine. Thank you so I
1: much. You. I love you, and I'm so happy that you were able to come on and talk to our radio.
2: Thank you.
0: Okay. Thank you, Catherine. Uh, Catherine uh, came out of Syria fairly recently. She met uh, Adam Steed uh, in uh, was it, it was Greece? It was a Greek, Greek island there, Adam. Um, so we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue with Adam Paul Steed, uh, who has been helping refugees, Syrian refugees uh, in uh, Greece, and uh, he is over Search and Rescue for Mercy Worldwide. He's the C-arm of that. Uh, we'll continue with him, and we'll be bringing on uh, Gerald Brown, who is Director of the Office of Refugee Services for the state of Utah. And we'll also be talking with Professor uh, Claudia Holzner from University of Utah. Later in the program, we're gonna be talking with a representative, a communications director for Governor Herbert, uh, John Cox. He'll get us the latest on, uh, on uh, the state of Utah and what the governor is saying on this. And uh, you can join us by email to upraccess at gmail.com. More following the break.
4: This is Management Minute by Professor Scott Hammond. Strong leaders realize they don't know everything. They listen more than they speak. They invite ideas from everyone and facilitate communication between all. One plant manager works on the shop floor a couple of days a month in order to stay in touch with his employees. Another company president answers phone calls when customer volume goes up. Leading with humility means creating an environment where respect replaces fear, where all jobs are valued. One business owner decided to eliminate her reserved parking and moved her work desk into a cubicle with others. She said excellence is a team sport. The Management Minute is brought to you by our members and the USU Shingo MBA program at the John M. Huntsman School of Business. A 15 month graduate degree for executives giving knowledge and skills to leverage the principles and tools of lean continuous improvement. huntsman.usu.edu. I'm Jeremy Hobson. NBC updates The Wiz. I, the all-powerful Wiz, have decided to grant your wishes, but... (laughs) Hey! I said but. Did you not hear me say but? There's a but coming.
5: There's always a but.
4: How have things changed since the original production back in the 70s? That's next time on Here and Now.
0: Join us Thursday morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio.
4: Hey, what's up? I'm Shad. Tug of War is a new feature film about two young men exposed to radicalized Islam. Next time on Q, I'll chat with its filmmaker, Bona Muhammad, about the culture of silence he sees around that subject in Muslim communities. That's coming up on Q from PRI Public Radio International.
0: Join us Thursday
4: afternoon at 1 on Utah Public Radio. You might think something like the color of the year is frivolous or unimportant but it's not it's i would say it's as important to us as apple computers are mac computers or the adobe software that we use i'm molly wood we'll reveal the color of the year and why it matters next time on marketplace from apm join
0: us thursday
4: night at 6:30 on utah public radio
0: You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're considering the question, should Utah accept refugees from Syria? It's been much debated. Utah's members of Congress want to stop Syrian refugees from entering the country, and indeed Utah, until new security checks are implemented. That process could take years. And uh, in contrast to 27 fellow governors, Governor Gary Herbert says Utah will continue to accept Syrian refugees at this time. He has asked the Utah Department of Public Safety to review security checks used by the Federal Refugee Settlement uh, Program. We're talking uh, with Adam Paul Steed. He's been helping refugees uh, in Greece. He's over Search and Rescue, the, uh, the sea portion for Mercy Worldwide. We talked with him in the first part of the program, along with uh, Catherine, who's a, a Syrian refugee uh, looking for a place to, to land. Uh, we bring in, as well, along with Mr. Steed uh, now, we bring in Gerald Brown, who is uh, Director of the Refugee Services Office at the Utah Department of Workforce Services. Uh, Gerald Brown, welcome to the program. Thank you. Appreciate you being with us. And I believe we also have with us uh, Claudia Holzner, who is University of Utah Associate Professor of Political Science. Uh, Professor Holzer, thank you for joining us.
3: It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Let me start with you, Adam Steed, as we talked with Catherine there. Uh, and uh, others like her, um, you know, you would you'd get the feeling that, why in the world would we be afraid of, <laughs> of having Catherine come to Utah? But there is a concern. There's a concern that, uh, you know, people who want to do violence might uh, slip in. Um, I wonder what your feeling is.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, first of all, I, she was a little shy on the radio, because... She, uh, she was kind of, you know, most refugees are a little scared to talk and uh, uh, be seen personally because they come from an environment where it is a lot different than it is here. Uh, people are scared to uh, talk or vocalize to do uh, the right thing or, or explain very much about them. They've been raised in a long time situation, term situation, where if you did that, you, you could get uh, in trouble. You could get hurt. You could, you could, uh, and so I. Uh, I was hoping that she wouldn't feel aside, That sometimes trans- transitioning takes takes some time mm-hmm. um, I understand that uh, there's very real concern uh that there there have been uh there have been uh some very reasons for very real concerns to to take very good measures to look and and screen through people to to try to find if there's anybody that that would would have ill intentions. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I I'm uh, cautious, but at the same time, I have just been inundated at the surface. I, I've seen the naked truth of it firsthand, straight up. I've seen the desperate families fleeing war, and and so I, I, I weigh heavy on on uh, on what I, what I've seen firsthand.
0: Let me turn to uh, Gerald Brown. Um, uh, the governor says we'll continue to accept refugees from Syria at this time. I don't know if we have. Do we have refugees from Syria currently in Utah?
6: We've got about 12 people that came in last year.
0: Okay. Uh, and what, uh, uh, I'm not sure, you know, you know all the ins and outs of the, the federal screening process, but what in general, what's the process for the, the, the refugee would come into the U.S. and to Utah?
6: Well, I I do know a bit about it. I was involved in it in a couple of ways in former refugee uh jobs that I've had. Uh it's very elaborate. Uh first, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees uh does an interview and determines whether the the person meets the very specific international definition of who a refugee is. Uh, After UNHCR uh, has uh, determined whether a person is a refugee or not, they will uh, refer people to uh, governments who have uh, agreed to uh, resettle refugees, such as the United States. The U.S. has very specific uh, uh, priorities for the different refugee populations they resettle. For Syrians, the uh, the priorities are women with children, uh, orphans, people with medical conditions, and elderly people. Those are the priorities. So, knowing those priorities, UNHCR will refer them to the U.S. government, uh, the State Department. We uh, do our own uh, refugee interviews. That was one of the jobs I've had in a past life, and they are very, very serious. Uh, They go into great detail to uh, determine whether the person is who they say they are uh, and whether they meet the definition of a refugee. If they pass the uh, U.S. interview, then they go through a, a series of security vetting. And the, those vettings take, if everything goes smoothly, take two years. Uh, if there are any questions, they take longer. If there are still questions, then the people don't aren't approved to, to come. So it's, it is an elaborate process, and, and it's, uh, from my experience, pretty thorough.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does sound very thorough. Um, and yet, uh, you know, it seems like... All of Utah's congressional delegation has some concerns and and want want to see this studied and perhaps uh, improved in, in in their view before we admit more refugees. Uh, I don't know. In your mind, is it secure enough right now?
6: Well, I all I can tell you is that you know in my experiences in. in working with refugees in refugee camps overseas. And as being an asylum officer, I just know that it is very detailed and very thorough. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's—I wouldn't second-guess any, uh, you know, current uh, <laughs> U.S. government official, it's not my job. Uh, I can just tell you that it's it's very detailed.
0: Let me turn to Professor Holzner. Um, and uh, Professor Holzner, you've you've sort of become a, a go-to guy for media, including us. Thank you uh, on on You're this welcome. on this topic. Uh, so I, I think you've sort of had your finger on the pulse. Um, and this is an issue, as I see it, and I wonder if you could confirm this. Of, for example, Governor Herbert says we're a compassionate people. The LDS Church is out with a statement. To, uh, you know, help refugees wherever we can. On the other hand. Uh, People are very concerned. Every time we have a shooting, it, it, the fear goes up. Is it, do you see it as, as kind of that those two poles, the opposite poles? Uh,
3: they are opposite poles. Um, I think Governor Herbert has struck um, a good balance between concerns for public safety and the security of Utah residents, while um, uh, emphasizing the sort of the humanitarian imperative. Right, the, we have to remember that the Syrian refugee crisis is first and foremost a humanitarian crisis and um, We do have a, an obligation to um, To welcome Syrian refugees into Utah and so it's I think it's it's fair and balanced to um, Continue to allow Syrian refugees to resettle in Utah while reviewing the, the security measures um, the one thing I'll say is that um, after, especially after hearing Gerald Brown describe the, the security background checks that refugees have to go through, is that the concerns, the security concerns, and the fear is, is misplaced. Um, the, the background checks that refugees go through are orders of magnitude more thorough than, for example, the security checks that uh, European tourists um, go through to enter the United States. And what we do know about the the terrorist attacks in Paris is that uh, at least six or seven of them were European nationals. Um, And there have also been um, terrorist acts within the United States by uh, US citizens. And so it strikes me that um, targeting Syrian refugees is exactly the wrong place to place our fears. we also the the security checks for uh, Syrian refugees are orders of magnitude more thorough than the background checks we employ for uh, people who purchase guns in the United States. Um, that would be another place I think where uh, the Congress should place an emphasis if they're really concerned about uh, the security of the American people. Hmm. We
0: turn back to Adam Paul Steed. Uh, I wonder. Uh, I don't know if, if you talked to the you know, refugees that you're helping, about all the, the geopolitics of all this. Of course, their immediate needs, and they're they're coming out of a traumatic situation. Um, but I wonder if they worry, refugees worry, but, you know, you have a Paris attack, you have shootings, and that's going to make it less likely that I can land somewhere where I want to land.
1: <laughs> yeah, so uh, I kind of feel like if you give somebody uh, what they want, they'll repeat a behavior and those terrorists do not want refugees to leave Syria. They do not want these people to leave. And they, they want to control them. They want to force them to do what they want. They, they want to corral them. They want to punish them. They they want to terrorize them. They do not want the refugees to leave. And so um, it's just a sad consequence that um, if... if uh, if we shut the the gates where these people go uh for their freedom uh, because of terrorist attack then then there will probably be more terrorist attacks to to stop any any exodus hmm. from occurring
0: uh, Professor Holstner, I wonder if i could get your comment on that the the whole you know it it seems like a very harsh juxtaposition that uh, one refugee looking for help versus the geopolitical situation that seems to just get worse.
3: It does. And I think we have to remember that um, the primary victims of, Mus- of ISIS attacks and the primary victims within Syria are Muslims, right? Muslims are victims in this um, in this struggle. And it is tragic. Um, and I think it's especially tragic that we're, that's, I don't fully understand the reasoning behind the emphasis on security checks for Syrian refugees. Um, I would understand you know, security checks on people who traveled to Syria and wanted to reenter the United States, um, particularly European nationals or American nationals who have done that. Um, I would understand any number of um, security restrictions um, for people who've been traveling to Syria. We have to remember ISIS is, is made up partly of Syrians, but there are thousands of foreign nationals fighting within ISIS, right? Who actually go in and out of the country, um, more or less at will, and don't need to uh, use sort of the cloak of, of refugee status to travel to Europe. And that was the case for the the attackers um, in in Paris. Um, they traveled back and forth, and there were obvious security breaches. Right there was there was a breakdown in the security because the European um, uh, intelligence agencies knew about the whereabouts, knew about the movements of these uh, terrorists. But they were nonetheless able to enter Syria and then re-enter back into Europe. And so I think that's a more important place um, to focus uh, um, our efforts, our intelligence efforts. And again, just to emphasize, Syrians are are victims in this. Um, And and I agree with Mr. Steed that it would be sort of a tragic irony that we, by restricting the flow of Syrian refugees into the United States, we'd actually be doing the handiwork of ISIS.
0: Uh, by the way I'm looking at a Utah policy KSL insider survey finding this com, and at least according to this survey taken on the 20 this uh, story was on the 22nd of November uh, a, a vast majority of those polled uh, said that Utah should uh, take in uh, refugees or, or following the way that uh, this uh, this poll was worded uh, should we refuse and the overwhelming majority 80 percent or so said uh, no we should not refuse refugees let me uh, turn to uh gerald brown with this question i'll 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 get a try to get an answer from each of you starting with mr brown people want to help how how to help you know individual citizen joe blow how to how to help
6: well uh I think the first thing to do is understand the context. Less than 1 percent of the bona fide refugees in the world, and there are about 20 million of them now, get third-country resettlement, which is what happens when they come to the U.S. So if, uh, if you're talking about how to help the 1 percent the, the that, that, that get here, the best way is to uh, become a friend of a refugee. That is the best way to help with integration. That's what refugees uh, need the most and want the most. Uh, And there are all kinds of ways to do that. Here in Utah, you can go to refugee.utah.gov, and there are all sorts of ways to donate or volunteer or to give money. Uh, If you want to help refugees in general, then you can uh, give money to UNHCR or any of the the very uh ethical non profits that work work with refugees overseas uh, the 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 most refugees in the world are warehoused in refugee camps and uh in the Syrian uh area I know that u n h c r is uh tens of millions of dollars in debt and cannot give the people there the assistance that they need so it depends on whether you want to help people here or there
0: uh let me turn to uh, alan uh, steed uh, um so you're you're i guess uh people could join you out there in the rescue but uh, not all of us can can do that what how to help
1: yeah that's a terrific question um part of the a uh the crisis is just being overwhelmed and in, in, in a refugee crisis, people are used to completing an action that feels really good. And, and the, my experience has been that uh, the, the, the uh, refugee crisis is kind of like traffic. You don't know where there's going to be a traffic. You don't know where there's going to be a pileup of cars. And I, I've just raced around an island. One day it's water. One day it's food. Another day it's medicine. Another day it, it's always clothing and wet people who are cold. And no one ever has enough blankets. No one ever has enough shoes. Um, And and so there's certain aids that we're always short on. There's development there. There's a growing, obviously, there's a growing need. I think that when people are out of the immediate danger, then they start to, the emotional struggle catches up to them, and they, they start to realize that there's no cats in America you know, they, they, they get through the, the ideas that that would be the everything perfect, and then they have to very real reality of what now, what do they do, who's going to be their friend. I think that Gerald brings out a great point, become a friend with the refugee. That's such a good idea. You, you wouldn't believe the how meaningful. I, I can give a quick message on Facebook to a refugee that I help, and, and they, they they treat me like I'm their best friend for life. They, it means so much for them to, to know that somebody's out there that that. Truly understands what they're going through. And, and I've just had a great experience from that. So, social media is a great way for people to reach out. Um, that, that's a terrific idea, Gerald. I think becoming a friend for refugees is a great idea. Um, funds are often in the immediate area. Uh, it's often less beneficial to ship stuff across the world that refugees need, uh, at least for the low-aid fund or the, the low-cost low um, help. Uh, so blankets and shoes, often at the cost of shipment is what we could purchase for them from there. Find a secure uh, way to donate uh, funds directly. Uh, so those can be purchased and bought is a great is a great thing uh, to do. Um, one thought I had back on the just earlier discussion about ISIS and stuff, I had a very up close, very real experience with talking to these people, thousands and thousands of people that came through. And I think it's important to remember that uh, the people that uh, did the whole Paris thing were were in a sophisticated little close group over there in Europe, and that um, the vast majority, I mean, the the people that I meet um, are, are not the same people. Uh, I meet people who are, uh, a huge amount of people are Syrian Christians, and uh, I... I mean a lot of Iraqis and afghanis and uh uh and and these people are um they're they're basically just waiting for an opportunity to to be reached out as a friend and to be understood for who they who they really really are uh, once in a while you you see somebody come along who's an old timer and and a more more you know they're just kind of a backwards person and they're more uh ultra-conservative with their religion, and they talk that way, and it's become like a, a common occurrence for people to kind of to look at the person and realize that that person's whole bubble is going to be majorly popped in a short period of time, and that they've been a victim of propaganda for a while, perhaps. And, and, and I've watched that transition. I've watched refugees help refugees come into the light and come into the understanding and, and I think the most powerful thing that we we can do uh, to help to help the situation is to humanize the people that we see. Because really, I think that uh, we we need to convince the hearts of the refugees that that if we want them to believe in our, our our way of life, we need to show that we have something beautiful to offer people in a, in a rough situation. And I, I think that will have far-reaching consequences into the future. Of helping, or not consequences, but, but advantages, in the future of, help, of helping these people.
0: Uh, by the way, Adam, I think I called you Alan earlier, so I apologize for that. So uh, that's Adam. I Adam called Puls- Alan. Oh, my okay, whole life. <laughs> Adam steed cool Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that's some great advice. We'll we'll try to keep in touch with uh, Catherine through through social media now that we've made contact with her. Um, so I want to ask the same question of uh, Claudia Holstner. What uh, I think people sometimes feel overwhelmed. It's just a big problem, and uh, and uh, how how to help somebody, how to how to help it in general. Big,
3: yeah, it is a big problem, and I think um, I really like the the suggestions made by uh, Gerald Brown and Adam Steed. Um, make a sort of try to befriend a refugee, um, learn about people's experiences so that you can humanize the problem. I would. I think donating money, um, particularly to agencies working um, overseas, is very important. One of the things um, that we have to remember is the vast majority of refugees will be stuck in refugee camps, neither seeking asylum nor resettling back in their home countries. Most refugees want to go back home. They don't want to uh, resettle in a third country, and most also can't. And so they're stuck in refugee camps for years on end. And one of the problems with the Syrian crisis is that the security situation within Syria is getting worse, and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better anytime soon. And so supporting efforts to sort of humanely take care of refugees in the refugee camps I think is very important because there are over 4 million Syrian refugees um, uh, outside of Syria. And in addition to that, uh, millions of Afghani refugees, uh, refugees from Eritrea and Sudan and Somalia. So it's a really, really major problem. The other suggestion I would encourage people uh, to pursue is to educate themselves about um, refugees and um, the the security situation in Syria. I think one of the downsides of the, the rhetoric coming um, out of Congress right now is that it It's creating a lot of misperceptions uh, and potential uh, bias and discrimination against Syrians, against Muslims, and against refugees. And I think if people sort of take matters into their own hands, seek out independent information and learn about the magnitude of the crisis, learn about the people, um, I think uh, that will help um, sort of help reason prevail.
0: Well, we are going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll be talking with uh, John Cox, uh, who is uh, Communications Director for uh, Governor Herbert. Uh, we thank uh, very much uh, Professor Claudio Holzner, Associate Professor of Political Science, and also uh, director, Associate Director of the Center for Latin American Studies at the University of Utah. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we thank uh, Gerald Brown, Director of Refugee Services Office at the Utah Department of Workforce Services. Thanks for the work your office does. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And uh, thank you to Adam Paul Steed. He's a Utah County resident, advocate refugee aid. He's uh, out there uh, helping. Very recently he was uh, out in the the Greek islands uh, helping. He is over search and rescue uh, on sea for mercy worldwide. Adam Paul Steed, thank you so much for what you're doing and for joining us here.
1: You bet. Thank you.
0: Uh, We'll take a break, come back with uh, John Cox from uh, Governor Herbert's office following this break.
7: What is a subject that you are passionate about? What do you know more about than most? Utah Public Radio wants you to share your knowledge and become a source for the Utah Public Insight Network, a new collaborative effort between UPR and the Salt Lake Tribune. Information you share could help our reporters create more in-depth stories on the things that you care about or more meaningful discussion on our flagship program, Access Utah. Become a source today. Join UPIN. For more information, visit us online at upr.org.
6: This week, Wait, Wait travels to Hollywood, where we will do our show at the same theater used by the Academy Awards. And the winner for Best Listener is you. We'll ask Jeff Daniels how he goes from playing the world's smartest man on the newsroom to the world's dumbest
7: guy in Dumb and Dumber 2, or is it the other way around? Join us for Wait, Wait from NPR.
0: Join us Saturday morning at 9 on Utah public radio thanks for listening to access utah we've reached our last segment of the program our question should utah accept refugees from syria we've talked with various people on this including uh, a refugee from syria Catherine, earlier in the program um and uh, I just wanted to, before we bring on our next guest, I want to put in a plug of another way you can help. Uh, for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the First Presidency of the Church has uh, put out a an appeal and has said that you can help refugees through uh, the uh, LDS Humanitarian Services through the regular donation process. There's another way that, uh, that you can help. Uh, next uh, in, we uh, bring on John Cox, uh, who is uh, Governor Herbert's Communications Director. Mr. Cox, thanks for joining us.
7: Thanks for having me, Tom. I appreciate it.
0: So, uh, Governor Herbert, uh, I think, uh, has gained some uh, fame uh, nationwide as being uh, the only one of, uh, I think, 27 governors who have spoken out on this so far, as saying yes. At least at this time, we'll continue to accept refugees from Syria. Is that still the governor's position?
7: Yeah. So, I, you know, obviously the. the most important duty of any governor is, is public safety, and uh, Governor uh, Herbert takes that responsibility seriously. But uh, in this particular case, he, he believes that uh, we can accomplish both that we can uh, accept refugees and, and also keep Utah safe. Uh, the, the key, though, is to, to make sure that continues to be the case, and uh, he's requested. Uh, not not just the existing level of scrutiny that takes place on the federal level, but also his own Department of Public Safety uh, to, to also administer uh, additional vetting to make sure we're comfortable with these folks coming in. And, uh, and that goes not just for Syrian refugees or, or refugees, period, but but other folks as well. When we talk about terrorism, uh, we, we shouldn't be so myopic just to look at one particular group of people. It really is a much broader issue.
0: Uh, and uh, your quote is saying, on behalf of Governor Herbert and the paper, Utahns are well known for our compassion for those who are fleeing violence in their homeland, and we will work to do all we can to ease their suffering without compromising uh, public safety. And that that's, uh, of course, a position that uh, many Utahns accept. A recent poll showed uh, more than 80% uh, said that we should not refuse uh, Syrian refugees. Um, but, you know, there's those 27 other governors who have said, otherwise there's there's some very real security concerns out there and for and for those governors for others who have looked at this the security concerns trump the compassion or the compassion concerns
7: yeah well and and i think it's helpful to to point out too uh, you know really if a terrorist were to come to this country if they've entered any one state they they've for all intents and purposes entered all 50 states and and so really we need a consistent federal policy i, I don't think it makes sense to have 50 different state policies as it relates to national security Uh, really this is something that needs to be addressed on a federal level. And we're encouraged to see uh, the the conversation taking place on on the federal level. We we just hope that uh, in doing so, uh, we we consider states as full partners. You know, again, a governor is concerned about uh, public safety. It's his number one priority. But but we need to have information sharing between these federal agencies and state agencies. Uh, And that's been one of the the biggest things, not just Governor Herbert, but all the governors have requested, uh, Republicans and Democrats alike.
0: Uh, So um, I think you mentioned the governor has asked the Utah Department of Public Safety to review the the, the checks. Is there a timeline on that review?
7: It, it's an ongoing review process, and they've they've come back with uh, some additional recommendations, and and, and some uh, we expect in, in the weeks and months to come. But but in this particular case, uh, I, I mentioned that that uh, Republicans and, and Democrats have joined together on this. On as far as governors go, we uh, the governor uh, sent a letter with with his fellow governors to the administration asking for enhanced information sharing. Uh, part part of the trouble is. Um, all of this information isn't always shared between law enforcement agencies on a federal level and a state level, uh, and that's frustrating, and, and that needs to change. And uh, it, it's part of this ongoing process uh, that, that, again, the Department of Public Safety has initiated.
0: And of course, there are unknown unknowns, but is there a red line or a red flag uh, at which point the governor would say, "I've changed my mind"? You know, we're going to we're going to stop admitting sure. Syrian refugees.
7: I, I, again, the governor doesn't feel like uh, compassion and public safety need to be mutually exclusive. But in the event that they were, uh, pu- public safety does have to come first. And, uh, and certainly, uh, if there was a situation where he felt like Utah's were at risk, uh, you know, we we would want to to step forward and, and take additional action. But so we continue to work with our partners, our congressional delegation as well. Uh, like, like we said, I mean, on on this issue of national security uh it, it really makes sense to have one consistent coherent federal policy, not fifty sort of patchwork policies uh, from the different states
0: the uh, The governor I believe is, uh, is he he's currently head of the national government association yeah, yeah. Uh, did, I don't know does, is are are the governors having this discussion in that forum?
7: They are so so, uh, and that was I mentioned a letter that was sent. It was from that organization. So the governors agreed to send a letter, and and again, this is a bipartisan group. uh, It's Democrats and Republicans, and they all agreed uh, to send this letter to uh, the White House requesting additional information sharing. That uh, you know, right now these uh, refugee programs are administered by NGOs, uh, not non-governmental organizations. And uh, that that information is not always shared with individual states, and uh, that 's frustrating there There was a call uh, between governors and the White House, the FBI Department of Homeland security and, and others and uh, that point was brought up multiple times not just by Republican governors but by democratic governors who who uh, tend to agree with the White House, but have said, you know look we we need more information sharing uh, that, that's a, a key component of good law enforcement we We need to share this information across boundaries and and uh, we're hopeful that that can, can take place. In the event that it doesn't, uh, and, and we're concerned about those who come here, you know, uh, we, we, we may, may need to take additional action.
0: Well, we uh, thank you very much, uh, John Cox, who is Communications Director for Utah Governor Gary Herbert. Thanks.
7: Okay. Thanks for having me on, Tom.
0: And I uh, hope you join us tomorrow. Of course, in this uh, hour, we're going to uh, have the news roundup as usual from the Salt Lake Tribune behind the headlines, what the program is called. And uh, on Monday, it's a special, Hanukkah Lights. And Tuesday, we have Utah author Ron Carlson. His new book is Return to Oak Pine. All that coming up. Hope you'll join us. Thanks for joining us today for Access Utah. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members. And Utah Humanities proudly celebrating its 40th anniversary, empowering Utahns to improve their communities through active engagement in the humanities. Details at utahhumanities.org.
4: Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio.
0: A service of the College of Humanities and Social Science at Utah State University, this is Utah Public Radio. The time now is 10 o'clock.
4: Blackberries, acorns, and oak trees seem far away at this time of year, but not on petals and prose. Nancy Williams revisits an essay from Gardening at the Dragon's Gate. But first, I'll talk with Mark Anderson from Anderson's Seed and Garden. Just what should you get that gardener on your Christmas list? We'll have a chat about the new, the useful, and the tried and true of the just right gardening gift. I also have a conversation with Brian Dixon, compiler for the Logan Christmas Bird Count, which is coming up on Saturday, December 19th. Whether you're a seasoned veteran of birding or just looking to get started, if your age is 9 or 90, a Christmas Bird Count is a great way to meet new friends and brush up on the basics of bird identification with those who are in the know. That's Today's Zesty Garden, coming up right after the news.
5: From NPR News in Washington, I'm Windsor Johnston. President Obama is weighing in on yesterday's mass shooting in San Bernardino, California, praising the efforts of law enforcement. As NPR White House correspondent Tamara Keith reports, Obama says the motive is still unknown. President Obama delivered a statement from the Oval Office just after receiving a briefing from the FBI director and the attorney general. Obama says the attackers were heavily armed and had more weapons at home.
6: It is possible that this was terrorist related, but we don't know. It's also possible that this was workplace related.
5: Investigators say the male shooter, Syed Rizwan Farouk, worked at the county health department. Its annual holiday party is where the attack took place. Obama says it will take time to answer the question of why. Tamara Keith, NPR News, Washington. The Pentagon is formally opening up frontline combat posts to women. Defense Secretary Ash Carter is expected to detail at this hour the outcome of an internal review about fully opening service to women. The Pentagon has been opening up jobs to women throughout the Obama administration. Women have been admitted to Navy submarines and to the Army's elite ranger school. 500 days ago, Washington Post reporter Jason Rezaian was jailed in Iran. Iranian reports say he was recently convicted and sentenced, but his family and friends say they still don't have clarity about the case. NPR's Michelle Kellerman reports. Washington Post foreign editor Doug Jell says this is a grim moment for Jason Rezaian.
1: 500 days in Iran's death prison. That means 500 days in which Jason has been robbed of his life. He's been deprived of his family. He's been denied any semblance of justice.
5: He calls the reporter's trial in Iran a sham. Rezaian's family has been raising this case with the U.N. And Jason's brother, Ali Rezaian, is in New York to deliver a petition to Iran's mission demanding his brother's release. Michelle Kellerman, NPR News, Washington. Negotiators at the U.N. Climate Conference in Paris say they're hoping to have a final draft by the weekend. NPR's Eleanor Beardsley is in Paris. The document to limit global warming to two degrees Celsius has been described as the most complicated international agreement ever attempted. The nearly 200 negotiators have been divided into 15 working groups, according to theme. There are also groups within those groups. And every word counts. Negotiators have to decide whether to use shall, which is mandatory, or should, which is just a guideline. NPR's Eleanor Beardsley. Applications for unemployment benefits rose slightly last week. The Labor Department says weekly applications for job Aid rose 9,000 to a seasonally adjusted 269,000. Stocks are trading lower at the sour on Wall Street. The Dow was down 44 points at 17,685. The Nasdaq down 14 points. The S&P down 7. You're listening to NPR News in Washington. A South African appeals court has reversed a lower court ruling against Olympic athlete Oscar Pistorius. The appeals court has changed the culpable homicide conviction and has now convicted him of murder in the shooting death of his girlfriend in 2013. The minimum prison term is 15 years. Pistorius had already served a year in prison for the previous charge and was released to house arrest in October. Senior citizens on Medicare can face heavy out-of-pocket costs for medications. That's according to a new study by the Kaiser Family Foundation and Georgetown University. NPR's Allison Kojak reports. The study
4: shows that seniors with cancer, rheumatoid arthritis, or other complex conditions may be on the hook for thousands of dollars in prescription costs, even if they have a Medicare drug plan. And some medications aren't covered at all. Patricia Newman of the Kaiser Family Foundation says the high cost may take seniors by surprise.
5: We were struck by the thousands and thousands of dollars that people could pay even after they reach the catastrophic level.
4: Newman says people should shop around for a Medicare drug plan to ensure that the prescriptions they take are covered next year. Open enrollment for Medicare ends on Monday. Allison Kojak, NPR News, Washington.
5: Authorities are building a barricade around a police station in Minneapolis. This after officers removed an encampment of about 50 people protesting the fatal shooting of a black man by police. A convoy of trucks delivered large concrete barriers to the precinct this morning. Protesters who refused to leave were arrested. I'm Windsor Johnston, NPR News in Washington. Support for NPR comes from
7: the Pajamagram Company. Offering matching holiday pajamas for the entire family, even the cats and dogs. Over 27 family sets online in knits, fleece, and flannel at pajamagram.com.